Hi, I'm Osher Ginsberg. Um, thanks for listening to the show. This is Better Than Yesterday. It's a podcast that I do, and um, I don't do it alone. There's people who make it with me. I have to pay those people. So you might hear an ad. And if you do, I've got to thank you because it helps me pay Andy and Rachel who help me make this show. All right. If you hear an ad, thank you. If you don't hear an ad, ripper. We'll get straight into the gig. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. What kids ultimately need to know is, are they safe and are they going to be okay? And that's the message that you're giving them. What you don't want to do is get lost in the helplessness of it and get too over-concerned about the what-ifs. I think it's really just being real about the current situation and it might be a simple conversation like mum's at home all the time now because, you know, she doesn't have a job anymore but there are lots of people around the country and the world at the moment that are in the same position and everyone's pulling together and we will be okay but just right now things are going to look a little bit different. So, yeah, I think kids need to know the reality of what's happening to an extent, but it needs to be presented in a way that doesn't make them feel helpless or make them feel unsafe or uncertain. So it's a tightrope and it's a very, very difficult balancing act. But I think if we tell them nothing, look, everything's fine, that can create more anxiety because they're not silly. They can see what's going on to an extent. They know that things are different. And if they don't have some information, they're going to fill the blanks (laughs) with something that might be more distressing for them than a version of the truth. That is psychologist and author Leanne Hall. And this is Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Today's show is with Leanne Hall. She is an author. She is a PhD researcher. She's a therapist. She's a psychologist and she's on the show today. You can find her on Instagram, Leanne Hall Therapist, L-E-A-N-N-E, Hall Therapist is where you can can find her. Thank you for being a part of the show. Uh, Thanks to everybody that got in touch about Friday's show. I really appreciate the feedback on that one today. It's a bit more of an expansion on that. Um, If you've never listened before, welcome. This show's called Better Than Yesterday. It does what it says in the box. It's just here to help you make today a bit better than yesterday. That's it. 
there's 350-ish episodes to listen to. On Mondays, I speak with a guest. On Fridays, I speak with you. Today, we've got Leanne on the show. I'm Rosha Ginsberg. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a cyclist. I'm a, a Beyond Meat mince taco eater. I'm a live tweeter of Bachelor in Paradise. I'm a baby nappy changer. And I'm not going to lie, we have wooden floor in the baby's room. And when he's done a really, really, when he's got a really full nappy full of wee, I kind of piff it over my shoulder once I've wrapped it up and I get an ever so, so, so satisfying feeling with the thud that it makes when it hits. I'm like, that's a good nappy, buddy. Well done. Good on you, champ. I'm so happy. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for being a part of the show. If you need me, you can always find me on email. Send us your email at gmail.com. You can also get me on Instagram. It's always great to see where you're listening to the show. Just tag me on Instagram or, or email me. Send us your email at gmail.com. Look, if you do like the show, if the show does bring you value, the greatest thing you can possibly do for me is to, look, really just tell another person about it. Tell another person about the show. Recommend the show to another person and, and let somebody know. That's the, the best thing you can do for me. So thank you very, 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 very much to everybody that has. And I know a lot of people discover the show that way. So so thank you. Just hit share in the corner of the phone app that you're using and, and send it to someone and that'd be freaking good. So thank you so, so, so very much. Before we get into the show with Leanne... I did want to thank you as well for the support around the book. Back after the break, the updated second edition is out now. There's more chapters that I've written. There's chapters from my wife uh, who wrote what it's like to live with someone whose brain gets um, kind of taken over by a bit of sickness here and there. And it's a sensational read. Uh, her chapter is extraordinarily good, extraordinarily good. And I'm really grateful that she took the time to write it. So thanks very much for the support around that. It's been going well and um, you can get it wherever you get your books. So so thanks heaps. So just a quick intro today uh, because I do want to get straight into the show. I know that uh, it's a weird and uncertain time here in Australia. Victoria is back in lockdown. I don't know by the time you hear this, New South Wales might be back in lockdown. It's very much hour to hour, day to day at this point. But I did want very much to do what I could to put into the world some information, something that might be able to help you get through these uncertain days and months ahead of us because we really are all in this together. So... If conversations like this you find beneficial, might I recommend to you checking out episode 337 of this show that uh, I had as my guest, the extraordinary Susan David. She is a psychologist, she's an author, and she offered some absolutely brilliant strategies on uh, dealing with life in lockdown. I remember going into my parents' room night after night begging my father Promise me you'll never die. He said to me, Susie, it's normal to be scared. And this for all of us right now, this is not a normal situation. If you are feeling fearful or worried, that is normal. Our emotions have evolved to protect us from threat. And at the moment, we are under threat. It's normal to be scared and you can still choose to do what's meaningful. You can still choose to love and be and hope and dream because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. So that's Susan David. You can scroll back in your podcast feed and find her. She's episode 337. So let me tell you about my guest, 
today. Leanne Hall is a clinical psychologist. She's been in private practice for over 15 years. She's got a master's degree in clinical psychology. She's got qualifications in both nutrition and fitness. She's an author with a particular interest in the mind-body connection. She's written a book in 2017. She wrote a book, Head First, Health Fast, The Smart Approach to Outwitting Body Issues and Achieving Sustainable Health. She's a runner, which I do adore about her. Uh, She's very, very good at what she does. You might have seen her on Bride and Prejudice. She's also a PhD researcher, which is which is pretty sick. Uh, so she definitely takes things very seriously. She's very good at what she does. And when we were starting to realize the gravity and the, the scale of what we were facing as a community around COVID-19 and what it was doing to our society, I got in touch with her and uh, I lined up a time to chat because I can only offer what I know from my own experience, but I, I, you know me, I, I like a bit of science. I like a bit of backup. So it was time to, you know, get an expert and get in someone who's like, I mean, crikey, the, woman, the woman's gone to university. All right? I just, just make stuff up. <laughs> Remember things that I've read. She's, she's very, actually clever. So um, I'm really grateful that she took time. And in this conversation, we, we go through a whole bunch of strategies that will hopefully help you deal with um, whatever it is you might be dealing with this week. We are all in a very interesting boat right now. And as a community, I firmly believe we'll be okay. We really will. It's going to take us a little bit of work, but I think we'll be all right. So without further ado, over an internet call, as is everything these days, please enjoy this conversation with Leanne Hall. Hi, Leanne. Hello. (laughs) I am just so happy that we could talk today because Mm. I didn't have a bunch of podcasts in the can and then we all went into lockdown and the things that I had recorded and talked about, well, some of them still made sense. Like there was some climate stuff that still made sense, but some other ones mm. were like, yeah, nah, that uh, doesn't really make sense right now. What will make sense? Yeah. I know I should talk to my friend Leanne because there's probably a lot of people dealing with a lot of shit they haven't had to deal with. There's probably, as we're founding mm. out in our family, your relationship is based on a certain amount of contact hours per day that you have around each other and then time to yourself and you're really only ever really around each other that much when you're on holiday and now suddenly we're all in each other's faces every day and now at school holidays bored (laughs) oh and you know i've realized how much of my mental health revolves around having things to look forward to so when someone takes that off you or when something in this case something takes it off you 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 really do find that well i feel like i've been in a free fall almost yeah it's super tricky, but I can only give my version of how to try and make things better from the things that have perhaps worked for me, but I'm not somebody that you know, went to university and studied to be a psychologist <laughs> like you and you know, actually uh, still practices and actually can help people. So the opportunity to create a podcast that could help people who are listening with issues that they may be facing at the moment uh, is an extraordinary one. And I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to do this with me today. Yeah, it's very relevant. That's for sure. So Mm. for a start, let's just go from like, let's just say everything is pretty okay, but you are kind of being driven around the bend a bit by the man or woman that you dearly love Mm. and they're just kind of driving you nuts. What are some ways that we can try and look at our relationship or reframe things at the moment to help us not get trapped in circles of arguments at the moment? I think part of it's about recognising the crisis that we're in and, and part of that's about the different changes in roles that I think we're all having to 
come to terms with as well. So whether you've got parents or one of you now working from home, one might be out of work, you're homeschooling children. I think when it comes to that drastic role shift that has been thrust upon us, the stress that comes with that can make anybody on edge and irritated. So I think once we kind of put it into a context and say that, well, there's reasons for this irritability. It's not that all of a sudden those things are now annoying me about my partner because maybe I don't love them anymore or, or whatever. I mean, that's a pretty basic example. But I think once you put a context around it, it creates movement so that you can say, all right, well, I've got to be aware that what I'm feeling is perfectly valid. But having said that, I need to find a way to move through this. And I think part of it too, when you're at home with someone all the time, what do you talk about? This this is the thing. My my husband still goes out to work, but when he comes home and says, how's your day? I just look at him and say, same as yesterday. <laughs> it's, it's just same, same. So finding things to look forward to, finding things to do together that don't involve talking about COVID. So whether it's watching a new show together, whether it's as daggy as it sounds, reading the same book or having other things to talk about so that you've got content and you can actually have a decent conversation without just getting caught on the same stuff all the time. And to know that I think lots of couples are facing that same issue, that irritability, we're all on edge, we're in that constant fight or flight at the moment. So we're all feeling under threat. So it's very, very hard to escape that. So if you can reach out and be vulnerable with your partner and be honest about that too, then you can create room to actually be empathetic towards them rather than feeling defensive all the time because that's the killer. I think it's the defensiveness and the resentment that comes with it. I think that's what can cause the real damage long term. Because at the moment, every relationship in the country, father, mother, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, son, daughter, is under enormous tension because not only are you packed into this tight space with each other for a great Mm. cause let's not forget it's not for fun you know we're doing this so we can save our community as a whole Mm. but there's also a great amount of tension added into that particularly if there's money stress in the house my sense of purpose my sense of meaning all that stuff does sort of come into play you know that that that's certainly a not uncommon thing right No, I think it triggers all that existential anxiety for all of us. And if you can imagine, I guess there are people that live like that all the time. People that lived, that live what they wake up every morning feeling like they're under threat and they, and they lack a sense of purpose because they're in survival mode. You know, you think of refugees, you think of people in domestic violence situations. They live like that every day. So I guess in a way it gives us a different appreciation of, of what that must feel like. Not that what we're experiencing is the same, but yeah, that, that sense of, of impending doom, of uncertainty, of fear, of just anxiety, living with that every day and finding ways to actually exist with it rather than argue back at it or, or somehow judge it as, as being negative or, or bad because it's normal. And I think, yeah, we, we are all definitely being confronted with a version of it. So when you say exist with it, that's a, a grand concept. Uh, no. how, how do we even begin to approach that? Sounds good, doesn't it, in theory? Um, I think it's about accepting it as normal. I think it's about almost seeing it as as an internal dialogue that's just going to keep playing. In other words, we can't stop it. It's almost like saying you can't control your thoughts. So that kind of anxiety sort of exists in our head as a, as a narrative that just c- continues to get played. And if we try and ignore it, block it out, judge it as bad, it just gets louder and it becomes all-consuming. So I think existing with it is about saying it's going to play, let it go, let that narrative go, and there are reasons that it's triggered at the moment and it is loud, but I can really choose where I put my attention. So I can either focus on it 
and pull it apart, analyse it, dissect it and just get lost in it. Or I can let it keep playing and put my energy elsewhere. I can go out for a walk. I can get lost in a book. I can start watching a new show. I can start cooking. I can pick up a hobby or an interest or a project that I haven't had time to do and put my attention there instead. It's so much easier said than done. And I think even if we can start by achieving pockets of that and then build on it, then that's great. But it's not something we can just flick a switch and just all get on our merry way and be mindful and and happy and thrive in isolation because life just doesn't work that way. It's like any skill. It takes time and patience to build. So when you say let it play, you mean, do you mean, okay, well, that's going on in my head. It's just a thought. It's not real. In my case, uh, Leanne, it'll be like, that's my brain deciding what's the very worst possible version of how this is going to play out. And then my brain deciding that I should react to that and me going, okay, cool. I'm going to just make a cup of tea while that goes on. And Mm. then I'm going to maybe make a snack. Uh, Oh, it's still going. Okay, fair enough. What am I going to do? I'm going to have a nice glass of water, see if my wife needs anything. Um, It's still happening. Okay. You know, just basically carry on while this thing just kind of plays itself out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. And I think there are certain things that, that will be triggering. So, I mean, I found in these, and I think a lot of people did in these first few weeks of this pandemic, I was just watching every bit of news I could possibly, I was like a sponge and it was so unhelpful. And for a while I felt in control. I felt like, well, if I can keep up to date with the information and know what's going on, then I'm somehow in control, which is such an illusion. But but I found that my head was just getting lost in it all the time and all of that that anxiety and that angst, I wasn't sleeping I was constantly looking for new information and wanting to know the facts. But I think once you decide that, look, I'm actually not in control of this, but I'm really not in control of much, to be honest, except what I'm going to do today and perhaps thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner and what I'm going to cook and those little things that we usually in the past have been on automatic pilot, to pay more attention to that stuff, I don't find mindfulness very easy. It's a big, big thing for me and I find it very challenging. But The only way I can do it is to try and look at those little mundane tasks like cooking dinner, you know, walking the dog and just be there and try and be present with it. And I can only achieve a few minutes at a time, but at least that resets me. At least that it's like hitting pause and it just decompresses and, you know, just takes the edge off off that angst even for a period of time. But our bodies are just filled with this urgent need to be like, I haven't got any money coming in. What what are we going to do? You know, how am I going to cope? I should be out running through the streets figuring out how to fix this now and that that, that can be overwhelming oh look it can it really can and that's why i think for those of us that are fortunate enough to have family and loved ones who we're in isolation with flipping the switch then and saying well as much as that person's irritating the absolute crap out of me at the moment aren't i lucky to have them and when you find little things like whether it's a card game whether you make up a game whether you start I mean, TikTok, how good's TikTok been? Oh, it's the best. <laughs> you know, like little things that you would ordinarily think, I would never do that. But if you can just, you know, find those glimmers of enjoyment that involve doing something with your family, um, something other than watch the news or, or discuss about things that cause angst, then it can start to create little little shifts, I think. Yeah. It's so, so hard though. Crikey. Yeah. It's so hard. And then it does set off a bit of a... You know, certainly if there's a tense conversation between mum and dad and the kids feel that energy, then the kids Mm -hmm. may not understand what's going on, but the temperature in the house changes somewhat and then that reaction then starts and then it can get into a bit of a crucible, can get into a bit of a loop, can't it? 
It can, it can, and, and and I find that I mean, kids as much as we try and shield them, depending on their age, of course, from what's going on and, and all the information out there, they know. So I think sometimes the best conversations are to sort of pull it right back and say, "This is really weird, isn't it, guys?" And really just check in with each other in a very honest way. And parents can start by being vulnerable with their kids. I, I actually think that this idea that we have to be strong, we do, we need to reassure them, they need to feel safe, but we also need to be real and honest and say, yeah, I'm finding this hard too. You know, I'm, I, I find it hard not to have somewhere to go every day or doing, you know, work from home or, you know, yeah, things are financially a bit tough at the moment. We'll be fine and yeah. we will, um, but right now, yeah, how are you feeling? Particularly if you've got kids that, you know, kids are, this is really hard on them, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, they're lacking their social connection. Their world's been turned upside down too and I think we've got to stop and, and remember that and encourage them to be honest and, and open about that too. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, I do know you you do work a lot with young people. When it does come to, like, let's just start, look, I'm like maybe I don't know, like someone who's somewhere between five and 10, you know, they've got a fairly decent idea of what's going on, but they still rely on you as parents to be the protector, the the provider. You know, they, they can't really yet cook for themselves. Some of them probably can. Um, <laughs> is it okay to communicate to kids of that age that mum or dad's lost their job or both of them have lost their job? Can you communicate that without scaring them? I think you can because I think what kids ultimately need to know is uh, are they safe and are they going to be okay? And that's the message that you're giving them. You're not kind of – what you don't want to do is get lost in the helplessness of it and get too over-concerned about the what-ifs. I think it's really just about being real about the current situation and it might be a simple conversation like mum's at home all the time now because, you know, she doesn't have a job anymore but there are lots of people around the country and the world at the moment that are in the same position. And what's happening is that our governments, everyone's pulling together and we will be okay. But just right now, things are going to look a little bit different. So, yeah, I think kids need to know the reality of what's happening to an extent, but they need it, it needs to be presented in a way that, that doesn't make them feel helpless or make them feel unsafe or uncertain. So it's a tightrope and it's a very, very difficult balancing act. But I think if we tell them nothing, if we sort of continue to give this idea that, oh, look, everything's fine, that can create more anxiety because they're not silly. They can see what's going on to an extent. They know that things are different. And if they don't have some information, they're going to fill the blanks <laughs> with something that might be more distressing for them than, than a version of the truth. Uh, now, that's a very interesting call there, filling in the blanks. That was my specialty when I was a kid because mm. my parents wouldn't often give us the full picture. And then so we would then, or I in my own brain would then, well, well obviously this is happening because um, because I'm an idiot. I did something <laughs> or, you know, I personalize it. And when I was little, 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 when I was like seven or eight years old, I would personalize it and go, well, this is happening because I did something or I said something to mum and now this is why this is happening. So yep. w- what you're saying is like the, the more information you give them, the less they have to kind of try and put together because we're humans, we try to figure 
figured things out and why things are the way they are, no matter what age they are. What about when they're kind of a little older, like 14, 15, 16? Obviously, you know, we've got a 16-year-old with us and she's just the best ever. And look, honestly, Leanne, she's a very physical kid. She sees her friends pretty much three times a week, four times a week at sport, whether it be dancing, basketball, water polo, you name it. Like that's her yeah. same core group of friends all do the same thing. She hasn't been able to see them. She hasn't had that physical outlet. I know what I'm like. If I don't get to train every day, I'm a punish, all right? Mm. She's been doing so well dealing with this. You know, how how can we best talk to our older kids about what's going on and how can we best negotiate their you know, obviously this is also a time in their life when they're trying to get independence. They're trying to be their own human and have their identity separate to you, yet you can't let them go anywhere. Yeah. It's really hard. It is really hard. And I think young people, I've got a lot of hope in our, in our young people, in our younger generation. They're a lot more resilient than, well, speaking for myself, I, I know my daughter is 17. She's a lot more resilient than I was at that age. And, and they're tech savvy. They, you know, they can multitask a lot better than, than certainly my generation. So giving them some credit and realising that they're better at this than we are generally. But on the other side, yes, I think it it presents a number of unique challenges for them as well. Often I think their thinking is quite flexible. They can actually move with this kind of stuff. But I think what concerns me about a lot of young people is that they do get lost in the helplessness of it and the enormity of it. And, you know, my daughter and a lot of young, young people that age, do take on the weight of climate change and they look at our refugee crisis and all of these things they're very open to and and they're exposed to. So this just adds another element of, you know, what's the war coming to? And and I think that's what we've got to help them with. We've got to help them navigate that and understand that this is a collective thing. This isn't something that any one person can fix, but it's a work in progress and, and giving them a sense of control in their lives. So, Look, it's it's tricky. It is tricky because I mean I've seen my daughter kind of get get really throw her arms in the air and say, "What's this? Is just all you know? Look at 2020 so far. She's doing HSC this year. I yeah. mean, it's it's pretty bad. But yeah, I, I think I think giving them you know little projects and things that they can do and be somehow in control of can help the balance a little bit. But ultimately, we're here to validate and support as well. So sometimes the biggest support I can give my daughter is a hug, and I just say to her. You're right. It does feel like real fact at the moment, doesn't it? <laughs> and those real conversations of, yeah, I get it. I, I feel a bit of that too. Yeah, sometimes they're the good starting points for, for those real vulnerable conversations. Giving them a sense of control, what do you mean? You mean like, oh, okay, make sure you work out today, little Timmy, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, getting them involved in different things and little different projects, whether it's fitness-based or, or even when it comes to their schoolwork, you know, keeping them on track and a bit focused there and then giving them little rewards for it. Saying, so, I mean, I know the shops are closed, but online shopping's still there. Financially, it's tough for a lot of families and, you know, like many, I know we can't afford to be online shopping all the time but I think trying to still give a sense of there will be things to look forward to in the future there are things to look forward to as hard as it is I my daughter showed me her formal pictures that she wants for a formal dress and now we don't even know if she'll be able to have one but you can't get lost in that so you know even if it's just half an hour of of showing me photos and talking about dresses and talking about all that kind of stuff just, just gives that sense of connection between her and I and it's a reminder that look the world will it is going to change but things Certain things will return to, and when I say normal, I use that term really loosely, but, you know, you will see your friends again. You will be able to celebrate the end of year 12. It just might look different. That's all. And that's, I think, the overarching 
weirdness of all of this is that just being an acceptance that as much as our governments around the world are trying very hard to make it all like it was, it ain't going to be like it was, I don't think, ever no. again. But this might be the first time that someone's actually had to cope with this degree of uncertainty about mm. their career, about their life, about their, their plans of where they might want to live or when to start a family or stuff like that. Like when it comes to dealing with uncertainty, what have, what have you got that could help people out? Yeah, I think this is something that I've thought a lot about too. I think we're probably in, I would probably say like a bit of a liminal phase at the moment. We're, we're going through a bit of a transformative process, I think. And part of that's about leaving the old behind. But the biggest concern is that we don't know what the new will be. And I think we've got to sit in that for a bit. So, I mean, I hear all these kind of marketing business terms like, you know, you've got to pivot and you've got to, you know, shift your goals and 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 that's all great. And I think if, if you're at that point, great. But I think for a lot of us, we're not there yet. We're still grieving. We're still trying to make sense of what the hell's going on and, and what our new normal, I just hate that word normal, but, <laughs> you know, whatever that's going to be. And if that means that everything is in the air, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle that's been thrown in the air and I don't know where the pieces are going to land, but that's okay that I don't know. Because if I try and make a picture while they're still in the air, and then they fall and it's something different. Then I've got to adjust to that too. So in some ways it's better to just say, well, they'll fall where they fall and I will adjust to whatever picture they form when they do. I know that's not <laughs> it's not giving people a concrete answer, but I don't think there is one. I'm just not sure whether there is one. And, and you know, you don't want to set people up to fail either. I, I hear all these things online about here are five things to do to thrive in isolation and I just cringe and I think a lot of people aren't ready to hear that yet. A lot of people don't don't want to know that they're going to thrive in this. A lot of people are just struggling to work out what they're going to do tomorrow. And I guess that's the that collective uncertainty and, and knowing that, look, the pieces of the puzzle will fall and they will form a picture, but we don't know what that picture is. Would it be helpful to look for times in your life when you have been faced with uncertainty before and see that, oh, I did manage to cope then and it was actually okay and just try to remind yourself that you you do have that skill set i think yeah and i think if if we're to be brutally honest with ourselves even when you choose a career path whether you choose a partner when you fall pregnant you, we do live with this false sense of control and this false sense of certainty it doesn't exist and i think that's what this has really shown us that as much as we can decide to be with someone and say yes you're going to be my partner for life we don't really know and as much as you pick a, a career path and say, yes, this fits really well for me now, you don't really know that either. So I think the other thing is to look back at those times in your life and say, well, I was certain about that job, for example, or that career path. But I did find that as I grew and as I shifted and changed in myself, my career path changed and I dealt with that and that's okay. So equally, I think it's important to look back at those times when you did feel certain about something, but then there was a shift and because then that sort of teaches us that kind of flexibility and that shifting is actually okay and that's very much what this is at the moment. So, yeah, I think we've all got those skill sets but I think our existential anxiety has been triggered to such an extent that we've forgotten we've got them. Well, we've managed to create system upon system upon system that gives us predictability. There will be mm. food on the shelves so I only need a fridge that's this big. So you know what I mean? Like I only have to shop for this many days in advance because I know that when I go back there next Thursday, there'll be food there again. And I don't have to worry about where I'm gonna, how I'm going to feed my family in a month from now because I know. I know that if I'm going to twist my ankle, I've got 
you know, a health insurance or whatever, and I'll be able to get my ankle fixed. So I will go out and do this trail run that might otherwise be kind of risky because I know mm. I have, we have set up system upon system upon system to give us predictability, predictable outcomes to allow us to plan, to allow us to have confidence that generally what we think might happen will happen. You know, there will be water mm. coming out of the tap. When I flush the toilet, it will go out of my home. Like the lights will go on when I flick a switch. We evolved with none of those things. We didn't know where tomorrow's lunch was going to be. We had to yep. run out and catch it. You know? we had That's to, right. You know, we, we didn't know if another try was going to come over the hill and take all that stuff. We didn't know any of those things. So we have this in our core of what it is to be human we have this ability to adapt, to adjust, to recalibrate, to reframe. And we have for centuries have got put that further and further and further away from us, I guess, in, in many ways. We have. And we live in a capitalist economy, which is absolutely constructed and built on this idea of outcomes and predictability and output. So that's the economy that we're in. And, and I think what the other global, if you like, or cultural aspect that this has really highlighted is, is how flawed capitalism is. It, it's about looking after the economy, not the person. So I think, you know, once we kind of can de deconstruct that, it gives us a new sense of meaning as well to say, well, okay, I can't change the economy. And there are lots of good aspects about being in a capitalist economy. But the downside of it is it's highly individualistic. It's built on this premise of predictability and, and certainty and, and planning for the future. And maybe there's a medium point somewhere where we can let go of some of that and, and start to construct a, a collective sense of community and, and being there for each other. Because, yeah, I think once we sort of start to focus too much on outcomes and, and all that sort of predictability, then, yeah, we, we're kind of replicating what I think is, is often a flawed system and it does nothing for our mental health at all. If, in fact, it can be quite damaging. It really has interrupted this idea that if you want to shift mood states from something that is uncomfortable to be with to something that is better, you should buy something. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Hasn't it? <laughs> really? Because that's kind of the lie we've been told. And yeah. I've been, I crikey, my, I'm sitting in an office full of stuff that I bought going, it's going to be great once I have that thing. <laughs> now, <laughs> yes. I've, now I've got it and it's sitting on my desk. I'm like, yes, okay, it's useful, but does it make me happy? Nah. Mm. <laughs> and even things like clothes. You know, I yeah. got up yesterday morning and I said, hmm, which tracksuit pants will I put on today? And, you know, I look at my wardrobe and think I've got all these clothes in there that I, when this lifts, I feel like it's going to be Christmas again. But at the end of the day, none of that stuff really matters, does it? I don't think it does. It's good to feel good. And that's all really nice. I mean, we like to kind of feel good and look good. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not really what matters. So our values start to kind of, there are little shifts there, I think. And, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's going to, I would hope, make us a little bit more appreciative of things and, you know, maybe value different things, perhaps. Maybe it's just the bubble that I travel in. Maybe the, the, the people that I have been in touch with and communicate with just through being a white, straight, middle-class Australian male who is in a heteronormative relationship with two kids in the suburb I live in and the industry I am. The people that I talk to, by and large, are all like, yeah, it's weird not knowing where the money's coming from, but it's, fuck, it's great hanging out with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. No, that's right. I've really brushed up my board game skills, which are pretty bad. We love categories, So, right. you know, we, we kind of get into categories, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. But I wouldn't be doing that. And even cooking with my 10-year-old son, he, he loves it. And I would never have – well, it's not that I wouldn't have done it, but there's always other things to do. And now when you're kind of twiddling your thumbs and you think, let's bake, why not? I'm crap at it, but let's do it anyway. 
I think you, you, we can give kids experiences that are about connection rather than about winning or doing something well or getting an award for it or recognition for it. And that creates big shifts for them too, which I think that's a definite positive. It does put in stark relief, like, hang on, how how many hours a week was I sitting on my phone just flicking through yeah. shit when I could have been doing this? Yeah, that's right. You know, and all those kind of meetings that I'm running off to and all those, you know, other things, a lot of them obviously are important, but some of them you think, well, that can wait. You know, why do I feel like that has to be done right now? Why can't I just... And I guess that's been the learning for me is is I've had to really pull back my expectations. And, you know, I'm studying at the moment and I, I said to my supervisor this morning, I've worked out I've got two and a half to three hours of solid work in me at the moment a day. That's all I've got. <laughs> the rest is just fluff and, and I, I can't pull my head together to keep going. And he said, what's wrong with that? That's totally fine. You've just got to go with what you've got. So pulling back our expectations and giving myself to permission to say, well, come lunchtime, kids, let's go for a walk. Let's take the dog. Let's do something. Let's watch something. Giving myself permission to do that has has been probably, I, I would say probably only been the last week or two that I've, I've really started to do that. Prior to that, I was stuck like everyone else in this idea of I need to be productive. I've got to be productive. I've got to be achieving things. I've got to be doing things. And you actually don't <laughs> a lot of the time anyway. The idea of that happiness that we think might happen when we click on something and then when the post person drops the package around to our house and that happiness is there for the amount of time it takes us to unwrap it and put it in the cupboard. <laughs> That's it. Versus yeah. how long does that happiness last? Like when you think about the walk you had with your kids yesterday with the dog, you still feel pretty happy about it, don't you? Oh, yeah, you do. You do. And it's, see, because I think we're used to the anticipation reward center of our brain, you know, that anticipation of reward is far more addictive than the actual reward itself. So when it comes to shopping and things like that, you, you're really kind of amping up the the anticipation aspect of it. Whereas when you're, like, I didn't particularly want to go for a walk with the kids, maybe, you know, there are times when I think it's the last thing I feel like doing, but I'll do it because I know once I'm there, I'll enjoy it. So it's building up different reward centers in the brain so that we're not just relying on the anticipation of something all the time. Because you're right, once you actually are in the moment and you can enjoy it, two, three hours go by and you think, oh, I really enjoyed that. Wow, okay. That, I, now I, And you get the endorphin rush and you think, gee, I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. And you're creating memories and you're creating things to talk about the next day, the next week, the next month. That's truly it, the opportunity to create a shared memory between you and another person, whether it be like... The other day, I'm not not even, you know, I did talk, talk about this on my show the other day, but the other day that, you know, it was late afternoon, it was coming up on dinner time and my neighbour walked by and he looked at our street and he said, it looks like it's the bloody 50s, doesn't it? There were kids on bikes riding up and down. One lot of neighbours were standing on the footpath. The other lot of neighbours were standing in their front yard. Everyone had a beer in their hand. They were having a chat. I'm out the front. I'm bouncing off on my knee. Audrey's planting seedlings in the garden. Like, this is... The f- yeah. What kind of utopia have I landed in? You know? It is weird. And, and it's like that midweek in the middle of the yeah, day. So it it's, you know, incredible. I, I had to run on the road the other day because there were so many walkers out and with their dogs. Yeah. I thought, this is crazy, yet I'm really loving it. And my husband doesn't particularly like me running at sunset when it sort of gets dark. And yeah. Like there's a lot of trails and whatever where I go and he says, oh, I don't like you, you know, being out when it gets dark. But I came back the other afternoon or, or evening and I said, you know what, there were that many people out that I felt incredibly safe. There were people everywhere. There were dogs. Everyone's saying hello to each other. It feels so different. And you're right, it is like an alternate universe. And um, if you kind of think back to a few months ago, 
could you ever in a million years have guessed that this is where we'd be? No way. The thing is that, Leanne, we still have all the apps and Facebook and TV and everything that was there in January. Yeah. All that shit is still with us. In fact, it's blaring at us more. Yet, instead, we choose to connect with our neighbours. We choose to connect with another human being. Mm. That's the thing yeah. that blows my mind. Yeah, I think we. it's like anything. Once you don't have it, you, you appreciate it and realise how much you value it. So once someone says you can't see your friends, you actually can't go out, people say, oh, oh. Actually, I really enjoyed doing that. Oh, I'm really missing that now. So it'd be nice to kind of think that once these restrictions lift, we can go back with a different appreciation. What, I'm, what I hope doesn't happen is that the novelty wears off after a couple of weeks and everyone just goes back to normal and sort of, you know, starts getting engrossed in their phone and not connecting again. I don't think that'll happen because, yeah, it's, it's very different now. It is very different. I think for the first, I mean, I am old enough, I'm old, so I remember what it was to not have a phone. I remember what it was to be the kid that rode up and down the street on a bike because that was the coolest thing ever and that was all there was. That was my fortnight. My BMX was my call of duty. That's what it was. And it was, <laughs> it was all I wanted to do and it was, I'd dream about it at night and it was the greatest thing ever and it was really, yeah. really good. But to suddenly discover that now and go, oh, hang on a second, this is actually pretty cool. I'm kind of down for this. We've been talking a lot about the the positive effects of what's happening here in lockdown, but there have been some harrowing negative effects, particularly around domestic violence, Leanne. Why do you think, is it because there's just like a combination of we're in in a closed situation, we're financially worried, we might not have been getting on and we were appreciating the eight hours apart every day, but now we're in each other's faces all day long. I'm just making stuff up. I'm like, why do you think there's been this spike in in domestic violence at the moment? I think, yes, I definitely think that. Certainly for victims of domestic violence, they can't access supports the way they could before. So you're stuck in your home. So you can't just pop in the car and and go and see your your sister or your friend or, or whatever. And I think for a lot of, I guess, if you think of perpetrators of, of domestic violence, a lot of what that's about is is control and, and I guess they are feeling out of control because of everything that's going on. So they then act out and they, I guess, in some ways project that onto their partner or their children and try and, you know, regain a sense of control there. So, you know, and obviously everyone's, you know, anxiety's up, everyone's feeling insecure and I think insecurity is a big thing in those situations, trying to get a sense of control and, and for victims just feeling completely and utterly trapped. I guess that's what worries me is that, that they don't have access to the supports that they did before. You know, and I would call out for anybody that, that knows someone that they are worried about, that they maybe haven't heard from, that they just continue to reach out and just check in and make sure everything's okay because it's when people go on radio silence, that's when we worry. So, if we go through our contacts list and think, oh, haven't heard from that person for a while, oh, I'm going to flick them a message and just see if they're okay. I think if we can do that every day or at least every other day, I think, yeah, we've really got to look out for each other. I don't want to draw stereotypes here, but we all, you know when your friend's in a relationship with another person that you're like, well, oh, that's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a crazy eye going on there. Yeah. You, you, we all know that. We all know our friends who are in relationships with people who are like, that's a bit, it's a bit weird, that one. But that's mm-hmm. not to say that it's only those people who, who will be the perpetrator. Like it can be any, it really can. It can be anybody. Mm. But it is what she's saying and it is the opportunity to, I'm just going to have to do my part here by stepping up and checking out and making sure these women in my life are safe. And that goes for men too, to make sure that, that guy I know who sometimes, you know, uses particularly alcohol to cope 
he's a hard drinking guy and he's got nothing to do at the moment. So he might be drinking hard all the time. Can I go out for a walk with him? Can I get him mm. on a phone? Can I get on a call? Can I reach out to this bloke and try to interrupt that? I guess just to obviously not put yourself in danger, but mm. can you reach out as a part of my, my brother-in-law sent me this fabulous thing today saying, um, I'm on lockdown and I can't go outside. Sounds like my mummy told me something I should do. Instead, I'm saying, I have sworn an oath of solitude to protect my nation from an invader. It's like, actually, that sounds way, it sounds more like a warrior when you do, you know? It's just reframing the situation, you know? So this is a part of it, I think. This is a part of of that is making sure that those around you who are in relationships, and we all know that, you know, it's, it's weird to yeah. say it, but we all know those people who, they may not be in a relationship that is, has tipped over into DV, but you know, mm. there's someone like, well, that that's probably, there's capability there. You know, we, we all know that. That's right. And, and getting on the phone, talking to someone, that's a text is, you know, I guess a text is helpful, particularly in someone in that situation, because they might not be able to talk, but definitely getting on the phone, getting somebody out of the house, going for a walk, that sort of thing. Yeah. Having a, having a, a Zoom Monopoly game, or my brother did that. He was telling me the other day, there was, they had six other couples and they all did Monopoly via Zoom. We had a, a, a Zoom red wine night with our friends last weekend and before we got on our chat, we said, right, 20 questions. Let's ask each other couple 20 questions about each other and see how well we know each other. And it was hilarious because I think that's the other thing. You've got to create things to look forward to as well. So using that, that kind of social media or that technology as, as a different way of engaging. So if you've got someone that you think might be at risk rather than them feeling pressured to get on the phone and talk to you to say, hey, how about we have a game of, I don't know, whatever it might be via Zoom or via Skype and have a laugh. And sometimes that's the best therapy of all is to just get on and have a laugh and play a game. At least that's not threatening and it's not confronting, but it lets them know without a doubt that you're there. So it's finding ways to reach out that are going to be probably less threatening and a little bit perhaps easier for them. Talk to me about the, the sense of control that people might be searching for. How else can we find control in our lives that doesn't involve us controlling our partner? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think, oh, look, everyone talks about starting projects and, and I guess that's not such a bad thing either. You know, whatever your strengths are, you know, I know someone that she's a good, cro- I can't do any of this sort of stuff, but she crochets and she, mm. she knits and she sews. Oh man, I'd love, my mother was good at that too. I didn't get that gene, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think it's start a new project, learn something. You know, TAFE, there are lots of free online courses now that are being offered. So, mm. you know, I'd encourage people to get online and, and see if there are any little free courses or things or, or book clubs or virtual running groups or walking groups or ways that you can kind of you know, become involved in, in online community groups. You know, I've joined a page on Facebook, which is Slow Cooker Recipes, <laughs> which, you know, is, but it's fantastic. It's changed my life. It's great. And you find you've got common ground. I don't know who these people are, but gosh, they're giving me some great ideas of what to cook. So, you know, little things like that to just get a sense of, all right, well, I can control what I can cook. I can control whether I go for a walk today. I can control who I talk to today. So there's a lot of things that we can control and it's maybe looking at that, reframing that and trying something you've never done before, you know, pick up a new skill or, or something that where you can actually see growth within yourself. You can actually say, oh, wow, I'm learning. I'm actually, I couldn't do that before and now I can. That gives us a sense of control and it gives a sense of purpose. And I think in some ways that that sense of purpose and meaning is probably more important than control. 
because that's the thing that, particularly if you're someone like me, who I absolutely have a massive part of my self-definition is in my job. Yeah. You know, because I, I essentially, I get paid to be who I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so if I can't do my job, it's like, well, what, what do I matter? It's hard. Oh, yeah. So having that sense, taking that locus of control internally, it's a very, very powerful move that I personally have found very very, very helpful. And, and I, I've been doing that particularly like my neighbor comes around and we work out in the backyard. He stands on one side of the backyard. I stand on the other and, um, he's a bit older than me. So I try not to break him. And we, uh, <laughs> we just swing kettlebells and do push ups and stuff. And, um, I felt very good. The other, you know, I can do a hundred push ups. I can do a hundred push ups. See how good that, and for those that can't do it like together like that, even doing that via Zoom, mm. you know, even sort of hopping onto Zoom, and I know a few people that are that are doing that, you know, they're doing their sort of Zoom cycle sessions and yeah. their stationary bikes or whatever it might be. You know, I've got a friend who's terrific at that kind of stuff. He's all set us a challenge in a couple of weeks to run forty two kilometers in forty two hours. And now that started as just a group of friends doing this virtual run together. We've created a, well, they created a Strava group and, yeah. you know, he's got sponsors, he's got prizes and things just to, to, to give people a random. He's now ended up with over a thousand people. He's got people from the UK. It's incredible how this thing has taken off because it, it's a collective thing that we can all strive for together. And even though we're all out there running on our own, we know that there are possibly 1,200 people out there running in the same virtual little mm. event that we've set up. So yeah. it's fantastic, that kind of stuff. If, if you don't even have, if you've got a phone, all right, you can pick up your phone and you can go for a walk while your friend in another part of the country goes for a walk and you can yeah. go for a walk together just talking on the phone. And yep. that's enough. It really is connecting. I think connecting with another human being and having that a, a bit of sense of control about you know, what you eat, how much you sleep, that sort of thing kind of gives you a good foundation on to which you can go to bed that night and go, well, everything that I could do today, I did. I can't control yeah. when the government's going to say we can go back outside. I can't control when my paycheck will start coming back in. I can't control yeah. any of these things, you know. That's right. I can only, con you know, this is all I can control. And so therefore I did it great. Top marks. <laughs> and I, I think a bit of escapism is good too. I, I kind of I picked up a book that I started reading over a year ago and got a chapter or two in, and then you know other things kind of took priority. But uh, I've finished reading that book, and now I'm on to the next one, and it's pure escapism, you know. Mm. And even finding a, a series on on Fox or Netflix or Stan or whatever, and and thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I am gonna watch that. Whether it's about demons and witches and and vampires and and whatever, get into some fiction therapy and immerse yourself in in different worlds. And you know, I, I find that because then I find I've done, I do that for a little bit, and then I put my mind back to what it, whatever it is I'm doing, and uh, and I feel I just feel a bit more invigorated. I think like I've got more energy, so I'm all for a bit of escapism too. <laughs> it's <laughs> I, I can attest to that. I, I read wildly. I read dystopian science fiction right before I go to sleep at night. I find oh. that the, the visual <laughs> I find the visualization that required to picture what you know some sort of submarine what was the book i read she had a submarine that could also fly oh yeah fantastic. it was pretty awesome but that kind of visualization starts to turn on the bits of my brain that i require to dream and it does help a lot leanne i'm i'm mindful of your time and because i i do know that you have a strict baking and walking dog and family oh, 
flat out here. I, I don't know how I'm going to manage the afternoon. <laughs> but look, to be honest, I'm just so grateful that you, when I emailed you, I'm like, look, I'd really love to create a show particularly based on like how, you know, what's going on in people's heads and how you might be able to get a bit more stability going on, particularly with so much instability around and, and that you, and you wrote back within about a minute going, yeah, absolutely, yeah. let's do it. So look, just thank you so much because it does buoy my heart so much to know that, you know, you and I are having this conversation right now, but there's that many podcasters out there who've gone, right, hang what I normally talk about. What is everybody, mm. this is what people need. Look, I'm just grateful that we could do this today. I really, really am. And, you know, one one final thing, I guess, you know, you hear this, we're all in this together and, and I think that's great and I think we are all in this together, but I think sometimes by overemphasising the commonalities of what we're going through, we can fail to validate the differences. Mm. And I guess I'm mindful too that, you know, we're all in different phases of this and I do see this as, like I said, a transitional, potentially transformative state where some of us are still grieving, some of us are angry, some of us are ready to kick goals. But I think while it's important to remember that we're in this together, it's also important to reach out and understand that everyone's experience is different Mm. and we need to validate that and really listen to each other and not make assumptions. So it's that fine line between, yeah, understanding that we're in it together but also knowing that I've got to appreciate that what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing is potentially going to be different to what other people are and that's okay. It's all valid. So just on the way out here, let's just do just a quick role play here. People might hear validate. What, what does that mm. mean? I get free parking? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, free parking. Let's just, what is, what is validating look like? I mean, let me do this. Oh, uh, Leanne, hi. I hurt my shoulder doing Turkish get-ups, Leanne, so I don't know if I'll be able to lift weights today and I feel really shit. So a non-validating thing would be to get into the weights and say, oh, you come on, you can do it. You're meant to be tough. But a validating thing would be to say, oh, that must be really awful. What did you do to your shoulder? And, and gee, that must really suck where how you feel at the moment. So it's connecting to the emotional content of what someone's talking about. Forget the crap on the outside and reach in and connect with what's happening on an emotional level hmm. and not judge it and not try and fix it. I think that's the most important thing too. Just hear it and say, that must be really frustrating for you. And what's the next step in that? What do you think, you know, you need to do next or, or, or what are you planning on doing next as opposed to just jumping in to try and fix it or focus on the content? You're the greatest. Leanne, thank you so, so much for taking the time to do this today. Absolute pleasure. That was Leanne Hall. You can find her on Instagram, Leanne Hall Therapist, L-E-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L-T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T. You can also buy her book. It's called Head First, Health Fast. She's a fantastic human being. She's very, very good at what she does. Uh, She's a great runner, which is super fun. She's right into that. And I dig her a lot. She's a mum. She's awesome. And I'm really grateful that she had time to come on the show today. And I hope that what she had to say was helpful. And I hope you got a bunch of value out of that. So if you like what you heard, please let her know. And if you like what you heard, please let somebody else know. Share this episode with someone that you feel needs to hear it today. Thank you very much for being a part of the show. Thank you very much to Andy, my audio producer, Rachel, my show producer, Haley on the socials, Mike on the music, Audrey for being amazing. The book is out right now. It's called Back After the Break. You can get it wherever you buy your books. I'm sure you can click a few clicks on your phone and some nice person in a posty outfit will deliver it to your home in a number of days if you choose to buy one. That'd be really great. Okay, I've got a jet. Got to get upstairs. Got to sort out a baby. Uh, good luck. Take care. We are all in this together. We're going to be okay. It's, it's going to be a bit bumpy, but I firmly believe we're going to come out of this better than we went in. All right? All right. I'll talk to you on Friday. All right. Until we talk then, please sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.